the key for the industry is the follow-up after the meeting. So those companies that actually get engaged and say, okay, this is not normal, but I have an opportunity to, to actually reach an audience that I've never reached before by doing follow-up emails, you know, blindly really, cold calls, if you will, um, I have found those that did their homework post the 5CC and post my scale meeting had an amazing event. They actually sold devices. They actually sold skincare products. They got people interested in their marketing companies or whatever. You're listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Dr. Michael Gold is one of the most recognized clinic owners in America. Actually, make that the world. You may know him as president and co-founder of 5CC, one of the world's leading aesthetic conferences. He also helped start the Dermatologic Aesthetic Surgery International League, which has become one of the most prominent and important international dermatology groups. He's a visiting professor of dermatology at three universities in China, and also a clinical assistant professor at Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. And all that is on top of his day job as founder and medical director a gold skincare center, advanced aesthetics medical spa, the laser and rejuvenation center, and Tennessee Clinical Research Center in Nashville, Tennessee. You won't be surprised to hear that our interview takes place before 7 a.m. because this clinic owner fits a lot into his day. So I'm excited to talk to Dr. Michael Gold about how the aesthetic conference circuit is changing, the tactics he's used to grow his practice and sustain its growth, the aesthetic industry in China, and a lot more besides. Let's dive in. Dr. Gold, welcome to how I, how I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. We're really thrilled to have you here. My pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Um, so obviously, you are known as, um, as a presenter at international conferences and as the president of 5CC. Um, and over the last few months with COVID, this has been a very, very difficult time for aesthetic conferences. Um, so, and I know that you did 5CC virtually this year. So first of all, I want to understand, how did you manage to, um, to organize that virtually so quickly? There must've been very, very fast pivoting there. Um, so everything had to go fast and everything had to pivot. So, um, I think that when you, when you look at what happened and I think being in the United States and you're in Europe is a little different. We, we were later into this pandemic than Europe. So... I think that at the beginning of the year, nobody ever thought we would be in a position that we'd have to sort of look at different options to run a meeting. Um, We're we're pretty good at running meetings. I'm I'm actually involved in three um, meetings, one that's 
in May every year in Nashville, um, and we um, we we we've we've been in we've done that one for over 15 years. So um, I we, I do that one here, and then we do the five CC, which is a meeting that started out in the in Nice and Cannes and moved to Barcelona after a few years and has established itself as one of the best educational meetings out there. And then I run an international derm surgery group called Dazzle. And we meet, we move that meeting everywhere around the world every year. So that's, that's the biggest challenge meeting because it's every time you change venues, you have to start all over. But I think when we came to 2020, our thought process was, okay, you know, this is, there's a bad virus and I'm somebody who goes to China pre-pandemic four to six times a year for 20 years. And so, um, you know, I, you know, we knew this was a interesting virus. I've been, I was in China shortly after SARS and, you know, people wore masks and they dealt with it. And, um, and, you know, we here in the U.S. we had H1N1 and, and you know, we, we've had, we've had different things. So nobody ever, I don't think anybody dreamed um, it was going to be what it was and what it is. Um, and when, it's still when, when, when you realize though that, that these events were going to have to become virtual, how did that change them? So the first thing that you have to do is you have to, um, so I, so you have to find a, a platform to do it. So yes, Zoom is involved, but Zoom's not our platform. Um, you know, and, and I, I know there have been lots of meetings that have gone on via the Zoom world, but there are companies out there that have been doing virtual meetings for a long time. So I think that for the scale meeting that we do here in Nashville, we moved it from May to June, July, and we found a very reputable company that we all knew about that did some virtual work and, and helped us do that meeting. And it was very successful. Um, I think that one of the things that I get too much credit for is that I know what I'm doing and, and I can do this just by pressing my, you know, push, clicking my fingers. Or, everyone was slightly or, making or, it up like, this year. Going like this. Um, I, I think you have to have a team and it, the team approach is what we have. So especially for the 5CC. Um, so we use, we work with a company called um, Logivet out of Frankfurt, Germany. Um, they are a multimedia, multi-talented, all-inclusive group. And, um, and they were able to create a virtual platform um, pretty quickly. I mean, they do a lot of meetings. And so um, they understood really quick. We speak every day. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm in my office so early so I can do that before work. And you know, they, they understood the need and, the, and what we had to do. The, I think the biggest challenge was you plan for a meeting for a year. And, and so the support that you have comes obviously from industry. Um, and you know, they sign up right after the meeting is over for the next few months. And we plan and plot everything that we're going to do. Um, and then all of a sudden we're saying to them, oh, by the way, we, we can't meet in Barcelona and we're going to have to do this virtually. And in, they're all in the midst of COVID. And they've laid, you know, half the companies have furloughed all their workers. Half the companies are, have decided they're not doing trade shows. Half the companies are trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do. 
So we're 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 in a position where we have to go back and pivot, and we have to go find every company and start negotiating. What are we going to do now? We were very lucky, I think. Um, I think the five CC has a track record uh, of an amazing faculty, and and I think that the it, the companies appreciate that fact. And again, with the organizational skills that we had with our team at Lodge Event, we were able to really do it pretty seamlessly. Um, it, it, it is a ton of work. I, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's hours. And it, well, what, what about from the point of view of the attendees? Were there any advantages so, when, when, when you actually did do it virtually? Would, would anything actually work better? Um, yeah, you could you could wear your pajamas. <laughs> I, you know, I I mean for yeah for for the guys they didn't have to put on their suits. For the women they didn't have to put on their makeup. I mean, and everything was pre-recorded from the, the faculty. I think from the I, I think the and the the thing that was amazing for the five CC was the social media aspect of what we did really took hold and really worked to make this a really global forum. Um, and again, lots of, I think the whole world of virtual meetings, even my Nashville meeting now is a global meeting. No matter what we do in the future, we're gonna, lie, we're gonna do live virtual streaming. So it, it will become- a, In some ways, attendance might actually go up. Correct. And so I think that won't, you know, so you know, normally when you go to a meeting, you pay a registration fee. It's it's up here. When you do a virtual meeting, it's here. You know, it's down at the bottom. You have to. You you you're either. There are meetings that have decided not to charge a fee. Um, I don't know how they function. These platforms are very expensive. And again, I think the companies understand that and they've been supportive. But I also think you. It's it's hard if you're. Oh, I'm going to start a meeting during COVID. That's not going to work. Um, you know, very successfully. Um, so I think that because we had we had a proven track record and we have, I'm one of seven partners in the 5CC, I sort of get the credit. They do, again, a lot of the work, um, but I'm the one that's out there, you know, telling people and whatever as they are. Um, but as I said, I get a lot of the credit, but it's a team effort. Um, and what, 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 Dr. Gold, what about the networking aspect of this? Obviously, a lot of people come to these meetings um, in person so, because they want yeah. to network. How does that work online? So, so, so it's really hard. I think that's the biggest challenge that we have. So the, all these virtual platforms have a networking um, room where you can go chat. That's great. It's not the same as talking to somebody in person or, you know, what, it, it, what it's hard. And then when the companies, um, participate and sponsor, they have set up a virtual booth, exhibit booth. And the reality is that if you have two days or two and a half days of meetings, you're not going to spend any time at that exhibit booth. Um, and, it, and it's a question that we go, how many breaks do we actually have versus actual lectures and things like that? Um, you'll go visit the booth maybe to see who showed up. And if, the, if you see somebody at that booth, you know, you'll say hi. Um, but the key, and I've learned this over the three or four months of doing this, um, the key for the industry is the follow-up after the meeting. So those companies that actually get engaged and say, okay, this is not normal, 
but I have an opportunity to, to actually reach an audience that I've never reached before by doing follow-up emails, you know, blindly really, cold calls, if you will. Um, I have found those that did their homework post the 5CC and post my scale meeting had an amazing event. They actually sold devices. They actually sold skincare products. They got people interested in their marketing companies or whatever. Those that they, they, they were using the the, the virtual conference as an initial touch point and then real world right. came afterwards. Right. And so the touch point was, hey, we're here. The touch point from us to them is we provide emails and with names and email addresses. So for 5CC, where we had 3,100 attendees, which I found unbelievable, um, you know, we were able to provide these companies with follow-up emails so that they can go and speak to their people. So the virtual world that we've lived in in COVID has been, um, I'm company A and I'm going to have Dr. Gold speak on company A's product and I'm going to have somebody else on company B speak on company's B product and we're going to have this great webinar for two hours and we're going to send out a list to all you know to everybody that we know the everybody we know are their clients okay they don't know everybody they don't have a 50,000 person database like I do they don't have the contacts that I have or the other meetings. Again, there are other meetings that are bigger than us and, and they have databases that are huge. And if you're a company and you're, you know, you're a laser company or you're a filler toxin company or skincare company, your lists are your clients. My lists give you the opportunity if you do your card, play your cards right, to actually get to new people whether they buy today or tomorrow or never, but if you do your homework, you have the opportunity. Plus, when we do meetings like Scale, ICC, Dazzle, we are offering continuing medical education. And in the COVID world- Let me ask you for a second about, the, about, about that educational aspect. Um, did you find that, um, that presenters found it difficult to, to transition onto what was required, not technically, but obviously you need a different presentation style when you're presenting online versus in person. Um, what were the tricks that made those, the, the best presentations really work online and how easy did people find it to transition? So, what, so again, for all the, the two meetings I've had and the one coming up, um, and I've done other things for these groups in between, like we, for, we did a um, cadaver course for one of the groups. We did a COVID course for one of these groups. I think it's, I think if you're a fact, if you're a, um, a speaker at one of these meetings, first of all, at our meetings, most of them are experts in their field, whether it's cosmetic derm, medical derm, plastic surgery, whatever field we're talking about, these people are at the top of the food chain. And I think that's, um, that's important. I actually, I, I'm so, I, I'm tired of recording my lectures. But I love recording my lectures because I sit there in front of my at my desk and I have a little icon at the bottom or top wherever I put it and I see my picture so I know I'm I know it's me and I get to do a 10 minute lecture I'm getting ready to do two 30 minute lectures this coming weekend virtually recorded and so let's say I start 
doing my talk and I make a mistake. Well, on podium, that's awfully embarrassing. Well, on, on, on a pre-recorded talk, I just delete that one and start over. Takes a lot of the pressure off. Right, and I also found, I also found, and again, this is just an observation on my part. The faculties at these meetings have gone out of their way to be the best that I've ever heard them speak. So to almost everybody that we engage for like the 5CC, these people were on their A game. Like, I, again, I know most of them and I have never heard them speak that well. Now I'm, I'm used to giving talks, so I think that I can talk anywhere and sometimes I think I do a really good job and I'll come home and tell my wife, hey, you know, I really nailed this one. But most of the time it's like, I don't, you know, I just give my talks. So I think when you're doing this virtually, you're, you have a concerted effort that you really want to be good and you really want to get the points across and you want to sound intelligent and you want to, and you want to, I don't know, it's just, it, it's coming and, across. And you, see, you see yourself afterwards and as you're recording it and that probably Absolutely. makes you want to improve. Absolutely. And, and you have an opportunity, you know, we just finished a meeting this past weekend here in the US and, and I gave a couple lectures and it was like, okay, I did pretty okay, I think. And then, you know, and then you sort of get texts and emails from colleagues saying, you know, I saw your lecture, blah, blah, blah. but I, I think if you, again. So let, let, let me ask you about that. Um, how has being involved in all these events um, and, and being such a well-known um, lecturer, how has that really um, contributed to your career, right? So how does your relationship essentially teaching other doctors um, translated into success into in your own practice or is, is there a relationship there? I, I think there, I mean, I think there is. I think that I'm to the point in my career I always, again, I tell people, I have the best gig in dermatology, okay? I'm a dermatologist. I'm from Nashville. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. This isn't the, you know, this is the music capital of the world, but, you know, it, it's, it, 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 the business side of this has been very good to me. Now, having said that, I work harder than 99% of my friends. I know I do. Um, so... It, it, you know, I work from six in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, you know, almost seven days a week. I try to play a little golf here and there, but, you know, and... and I was going to ask you how to find time for all this, but we're actually uh, recording it at 7 a.m. your time. You've already been in the office for it, an hour, so... It, it's not hard. I mean, again, I think that I, I, I always joke and tell people, I went to a meeting a couple years ago, and my wife doesn't go into any of my lectures or, you know, hear anybody talk. She doesn't really like hearing me talk um, after all, after 40 years of this. Um, but we went in because somebody was talking on physician burnout and on inability to multitask. That was sort of the topic. And she got up there and she started talking about that people cannot multitask. Well, that's our nature. I mean, we, I, I can multitask every second of the day. I've learned that skill. But again, having said that, I have amazing people, amazing people around me. I surround myself with people that I trust 100% with everything I do. So when it comes to my clinic, I don't worry about the day-to-day -day operations of my clinic. I have people that know how to run a clinic. This is their job. 
I have an administrative assistant that knows my life better than I know my life. And I have- You have to, because presumably in non-COVID times, you're not in the office for a large amount of- Right, but I, I, and I have a pretty large staff. And again, if I have full trust in all of my providers. I have full trust in everybody that's doing it. We How do you train find well. people that you actually trust though? Obviously How do I find them? Yeah, because obviously one of the things that we do hear a lot from um, from practice owners is the difficulty of getting and retaining. Well, the, the, re the retention is hard. I mean, again, I've been in practice 30 plus years. I've had a lot of people leave. I've had a lot of people beg to come back um, because, again, the grass is always greener on the other side until you get to the other side. So I, we try to offer a working environment that is, it's tough, but it's fair, and there's lots of room to grow. Um, I, I think we take care of our employees exceptionally well, um, and that means financially, time off, breaks, um, opportunity to advance. So again, my, my, if my, nurse practitioners and physician extend assistants, they have to go to conferences, okay, now virtually. But in the past, they all go. They have to write papers. They have to, this is not a, this isn't a free ride. This is, this is what we do. I mean, what my, one of my nurse practitioners just became a PhD in nursing. So, so you're challenging them. You're giving them, but you're both challenging them and giving them the opportunity to be the best. Correct, correct. And then, and then, you know, we, we make our people engaged in what we do. If I do well, they do well. It's really simple. I mean, so during this COVID thing, when we shut down in March 15th or whatever it was, we made the, we were allowed to, we were allowed to stay open as a emergency, essential worker, emergency type clinic, seeing emergency dermatology. Okay, there's not a lot of emergency dermatology. Cosmetics went totally stopped because we weren't allowed to do anything that will, any elective procedures. So we were here to take care of a bleeding skin cancer, um, a bleeding mole, somebody that had an abscess that was the size of a baseball or, or you know, a cricket ball or whatever. And, and we, we went from seeing almost 200 to 250 people in our clinic a day to about eight. Um, and so, but we made the decision that if we could remain open, we wouldn't furlough or let go any employee. So we had 50 employees. They all stayed on payroll. Um, I didn't take a paycheck for four months, five months, probably just started again. Um, the idea was make enough money doing what we do. March and April when we opened back in May, and then we were able to do like 25% of our cosmetic business, continue to make enough in a financial way to pay employees. If I did that, I was happy. And again, in the US, we had this uh, paycheck protection program, which we all were able to get, which helped a little. It didn't help a ton, but it helped a little, and every dollar we got was appreciated. But we were able to maintain our entire staff. So um, I think that was appreciated by our staff that we were able to stay open. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine being in my house for six months. I mean, that would have driven me crazy. But we, 
we, we, we survived. Um, Nashville's still in a really weird state of um, lots of COVID every day. You know, the state of Tennessee has a lot still every day, but we're at over, we're probably at 50, 60% capacity now. And so we're fine. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not breaking the bank because of that because I'm not at 100% capacity, but at the same time- Your staff know that you're there to stay, which I'm assuming is- Yeah, and so the other thing that's important is in the COVID world, I haven't traveled. So I'm here for, I work four and a half days a week. So I'm here four and a half days a week. How how has that felt after all those years of traveling and, uh, and really being able to network in person? Presumably you're spending, I would assume that you're spending more time with patients now. Um, I do. I talk to them now. It's a novel concept sometimes. But I, I, I think it's, it's you know, and I miss it all. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you and say I don't miss, you know, I, I, I would go to the Nashville airport and I fly One World, you know, American Airlines, mostly in the United States and BA when I'm in Brit in 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 London, you know, when I fly to Europe, I fly through London. I know flight attendants. I know every, there's not a person at the Nashville airport I don't know. Okay, most of them are my patients, um, and I walk into you know you walk into TSA here or your security in, in in Heathrow, and you're you know you get nervous. Okay, I walk into security here, and most of them go, Hey, Doc, <laughs> I'll come in to see you next week, and I know all of them. What do you ultimately, all, all the lecturing and the, um, and, and, the, and the events, what is, has, is that just something you're doing for pleasure essentially because you enjoy it or what does what it actually, has it contributed in a real way to your career or is it just something that you enjoy and find intellectually so fulfilling? I, it, it, I think it obviously helps my, has helped my career. I think that being a private practitioner slash academic person has helped my career. I always, I, I come from a family that lots of medical doctors and but lots of clinical research too. And so we, I, I think that over time this has evolved, but I also think that over time I have been very lucky in meeting certain individuals who said, would you try this or would you do this? And mainly companies, would you try this? Would you do this? And that sort of spiraled into something. And then again, I'm at the point in my career where giving back is probably more important at this point, teaching younger people. Um, I'd like to think that I have a lot of kids out there that have, you know, I have lots of people that used to come to my office pre-COVID. And I think that, you know, I've watched them grow into master clinicians um, and I think, you know, that's the biggest reward that I can do. If I have taught one person how to be a better doctor and, and more important, a better person, um, then, then I've done it. I've done my work. But again, I've and had so many. Do you take on these mentees um, deliberately or is that just something that has, that has evolved? It's it sort of evolved. I mean, over the years, it, it, again, I think, uh, you know, a few years after I started practice, I became involved with the, the Israeli laser companies. Um, and one person in particular, a gentleman named Shimon Ekow said, would I try something? And that sort of spiraled the beginning of my career. So we had every other weekend, I had 20 doctors here. 
um, learning how to use intense pulse light, you're learning how to use the other devices this company had. Um, and, and that led to, okay, Dr. Gold, we need you in you know, Timbuktu tomorrow. Um, and then I also was involved in something called silicone gel sheeting at, from day one. Um, and that took me around the world a few, few times because again, just launching how to treat hypertrophic scars and keloids. And then we had photodynamic therapy, which was another key part of my life. So that all, all that spiraled into teaching. So, so actually the relationships is really one thing that really enabled your. Enabled so I think, yeah. So the relationships I had with companies and again, at the highest of levels was very important early on in making, making me a better type of person of in this in this business um but i also think again i i try to when i speak and when i write and it's all honest it's all me this is who you get and i think that over the years the the companies the ceos the other doctors have appreciated that i mean i i you're, you're not going to get some if it if it works i'm going to tell you it works if it doesn't work i'm going to tell you it doesn't work um, and then if I really believe in it and you don't believe me, I'm going to keep doing it until you believe me. Um, and that's sort of how, you know, it's worked. But I, I built the relationship thing up over the 30 years. And I, you know, I can imagine there's not a CEO in this, in this world that I can't call on the phone and say, hey, I have something in my mind. We need to talk. Because I guess there are a lot of smaller clinic owners who are still much earlier in their journey, are very locally focused. Um, they're not necessarily looking to build those relationships. They really just, you know, focus on getting their patients in and, um, and they're not really building those relationships. So it sounds like that's something that would be really yeah. I, and, I, and I think there are local relationships when I first started, okay? How did, how did I get to be known in this community? I came here and knew nobody. I didn't know one person. And so um, we made a concerted effort, okay? This, we have to be at this party, this party, this party, this social event, this whatever. And so there wasn't a weekend that we weren't going to some event somewhere in Middle Tennessee that was important for my business. Um, it didn't hurt to have a good time, but it was, we were, there was also a business relationship thing going on with that and supporting the charities and things that we believed in. So that was very useful at the beginning, making sure that our clinics were um, out there as far as the press, making sure that all that was part of it, because that's an important part of it. You can't, you know, the idea of, hey, I'm, I'm a dermatologist, I'm gonna put out my shingle and people are just gonna show up. It doesn't work that way. This is, this, this is, this is a job and, and you gotta be good at it. That's the first thing. I mean, we're, we're doctors, we're healthcare providers. We have to take care of people to the best way we know. But at the same time, you've got to run a business. Again, I have 50 employees, so that means I feed 50 people. Do you think that that, that kind of local relationship building, obviously you, you've been doing this for 30 years, is that something that in today's social media, virtual age, putting aside COVID, obviously, which makes right. it much more difficult, is that still critical or is yes. it just really all digital now? So, so, I, I, so if you look at my digital world, I'm all over the place, okay? Um, I don't 
actively do that. Again, I'm surrounded by really good people, and I'm not the I'm not afraid to tell people I don't do Facebook, I don't do Twitter, um, but I have people that do all that with me and for me, um, and I don't care on social media how many likes I get. I I have this conversation at least once a week with my teams. I don't care if I have 10 likes or 5,000 likes. It makes no difference. If we're promoting something in the clinic and that doesn't translate into actual phone calls and engagements, what's the point? I, again, and, and again, online, isn't it? The, very often businesses of all types, by the way, not just clinics and med spas, get very um, hung up on email opens, likes, that, those kind of things, but they're just known as vanity metrics because exactly as you say, right. but yeah, but you have, if, if, if you're doing an email blast and I do, again, I do a lot of them and I approve all of them and, and that's fine. There are certain ones I want open, okay? I, if I'm sending you something that I want open, I gotta have a reason for you to open it, correct? Otherwise, you're not going to open. I get, I get, you know, I get a hundred emails. Of course, of course, you're not going to get the sales if people aren't opening them. But ultimately, the measure of success is not the opens. It's no, the, the measure of success is how many people show up because of that email. How many people make a phone call because of that email? And again, it's a battle. But I'm, you know, I thank goodness I've been around before the social media. But we we still we still do it all, and I think you have to do it. Um, but I, w I wouldn't make that my number one thing. I think that we rely on our patient-to-patient -patient referrals. Um, we rely on, you know, again, after 30 years, I'm taking care of third generations of families, which is mind-boggling. So I took care of the grandmother, I took care of the mother, and now I'm taking care of the mother's kid. And so that's rewarding. Yeah. Do you have a specific way of getting those referrals? Um, just doing a good job. No, I, 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 and again, it, it's, I don't have a specific formula. It's just treating them nicely. Now, again, my biggest criticism that I hear is I'm too fast. Um, but, you know, if I walk into a room on the med derm side, if I work at, walk into a room and you have a rash and I don't know what it is in one second, I can spend an hour with you. It doesn't matter. I already know what I'm treating you with. I already know whether I'm doing a biopsy or not. I already know if I'm doing lab work or not. And I can chat with you till tomorrow. But people, you know, some people want to chat and some don't. I, but if I don't know what you're, you know, what I'm going to be doing in one second, then I'm not going to know what to do except do a workup. If you have acne, I don't have to look at the, your face with a magnifying glass. I know what, based on what you have, yeah, I, I, based on the kind of pimples you have, I know what I'm going to do. If you have eczema or psoriasis, it gets a little more tricky because we have better drugs now, but we have to work through and get people on, but they're easy to get now. And so that's good. Now on the cosmetic side, obviously that's a whole different animal. You have to be able to read people. You have to be able to smile. You have to be able to, first, you got to make sure that they have reasonable expectations. Um, I, you know, the hardest thing that I ever learned how to do was say, I might not be your doctor. I may not be the one to be able to help your problem because they are unreasonable in their expectations. So that's a learned talent. And most of us at my age have that talent. 
But a young physician, you don't want to turn somebody down that's potentially going to spend five or $10,000 in your clinic. But that's the smart thing to do. So, and again, I think in the cosmetic side, you do have to spend more time. And we do. That's why I have people. Um, and, and, you know, and you know, that's how it works. And so, I mean, it's just been a, it's been a wonderful ride for 30 years. I wouldn't change, there's very little I would change. You have obviously built up the most incredible um, practice with lots of different arms, um, very, very well known internationally as well. Um, what's been a struggle for you? When you look back at the last 30 years, what's something that, um, in terms of the growth of your practice specifically, what was a real challenge that you had to overcome? Um, I mean, when I first started, again, I, when I first started in practice, you know, the question was, who's going to see me? You know, and again, because I was a non-entity. <clears throat> I had I had been here for a year and then I opened my practice. So I wasn't sure I'd have a patient or a client. Um, and so I think the biggest challenges have been, you know, how do you maintain a growth spur? So I, again, I'm a numbers guy as well as I love numbers and I love looking at charts and I love looking at things, which again, made me make me a little unusual because most docs don't understand, you know, a lot of docs don't understand that part. I think they need to, and I think that's part of it. But I used to sit around with my accounting teams and go, okay, you know, how much, you know, here's our budget for this year. We make a budget and every month we talk about the budget and are we on track? And, you know, how do we get from point A to point B? And I think the hardest part was figuring out how much growth you can have year, year in, year out. It can't sustain itself unless you become this, you know, unless I had 40 doctors working for me, but I don't want 40 doctors working for me. So we got to a certain growth level and we were comfortable with that. And every year we want to go up a couple percentage points instead of 10%, three or 4% was good. 5% was great. And then I think, you know, then 2008 hit. All right. And that was a, that was a interesting phenomenon in the, in the world that we live in, because that was the first real recession that any of us faced. Um, and my plastic surgical colleagues and cosmetic dermatologists, they took a massive hit. But MedDerm continued. So again, and so when COVID happened, MedDerm continues. Um, so when we're open, we're able to see MedDerm much better than we are cosmetic because of all the protective gear and all this other stuff that is like tripled when you're doing cosmetic procedures. So I think, I guess my point is, I'm known in this business as a cosmetic dermatologist. That's great. I love that. I, that's what I love doing, but I love MedDerm and, and, and I love rashes and I love doing what I do. And again, that sort of goes back to my chair, I trained at Northwestern University and I had a chairman, his name was Henry Rennick, um, also got to the office at 6 a.m. and I thought he was crazy and I would say, why are you here? And he said, this is my private time, this is where I get all my work done. And what I do now is that. But he always said, and he was one of the first dermatologic surgeons out there. Um, you know, and, and when he started and he was doing hair transplants and liposuctions and, and other things, 
Um, and we didn't have Botox and college and fillers at that time. So we were doing big time cosmetic procedures. Um, the Medderm part was still an important component. And so, you know, I watched, I guess, his work ethic. The other people at Northwestern had an amazing work ethic. And, and again, they, so the hurt, I haven't had a ton of hurdles. So the work, the work ethic has been key. The relationships have been key. Yeah. I, diversification has also been key. Yeah, I do a lot of different things. But again, it's, I, as I said, it's multitasking. I'm, I'm, I, I'd like to think that I'm okay at it. But um, so every year there, I mean, every year there's hurdles, okay? You know, it's, there's, you know, how are we going to work with this company? What are we going to do here? Do we have enough research to do this or that? Um, but again, it's treating the com treating the people right, treating your patients right, treating your colleagues right, treating the industry with respect. If you do that, eventually it all rolls into place. Hey, Dr. Gold, we're about to finish. I just got one question for you. And something you said right at the beginning that really piqued my interest. You mentioned China. Um, I'm just really interested um, what your observations are about the aesthetic. I, I don't think most people this side of the, the world really know what, what's, what's, what's the aesthetic scene like there. Massive. So, so, so it's interesting. So I was, I, I actually had a, Again, so I, one of my other mentors is a, is a gentleman named Mitch Goldman. Um, you know, he's a couple years older than me, but very well known in the laser business, as are all my friends. Um, and he was on his way back and forth to China, and he couldn't go one year, one meeting. And he, he actually called my wife. He didn't call me. <clears throat> and, and this is 20 years ago. And he said, um, Cindy, I need Michael to go to China for me. It'll change his career. And she's like, okay. And so I went. And so the person that I met with, his name is Jai. He runs a he runs Luminous China, a Luminous in all of Asia Pacific. And Jai and I speak almost every day to this day. Um, we consider ourselves more like brothers than colleagues. Um, Jai has, and again, lots of other companies, but they make me they have helped me as much as they think I've helped them. So when I got there, nobody knew how to use a laser. That was, you know, it was all new. Now, after 20 years, you know, when, when I see the kind of work and I help these doctors publish papers, that's a big part of what I do in China. Um, for all the companies, for all the procedures, um, I have to rewrite them all. But today versus 10 years ago, the writing is much better. Um, because most of their students train in the U.S. at some point, so they learn the English or, or you know, better than what they did. Um, but the the when you go to China and see the, they go like this in their cosmetic work. They they are so skilled at what they do as a whole, or most every one of them. And when I take a laser to treat a hypertrophic scar and or a keloid, and I do you know, three or four or five of them a month. They do, one of my colleagues does 30 to 40 of them a day. All right. And so I go to his hospital. Yeah. And so when, when, when I wanted to, so I mentioned before about intense pulse light and I was meeting a colleague of mine in, in Foshan, China, 
and she's a plastic surgeon and she had one of her fellows present. They all present to me when I'm there. It's very funny. They get scared out of their minds because they have to do it in English. And she presented a series of 2,500 intense pulse light treatments patients that she had accumulated and did something with. Well, that has become one of the seminal papers in intense pulse light um, that I helped her write and publish. And in fact, the two of us have now published a book on intense pulse light because that's what we do. So I think that what I've seen and now, now with the toxins and fillers all arriving in China, they are as beauty conscious as anything. Again, I haven't been there in, a, in six, you know, seven months. So, um, but pre-COVID, they had free, free income um, they, they spent their money, they demanded perfection, they wanted to look great, um, and, you know, more power to the docs. They've, they've done their homework and learning, and so that's great. And so, yeah, you'll see Ferraris and, 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 and Rolls Royces and Bentleys all through the streets of Beijing and Shanghai. Um, they, they've, they've done well, um, and, you know, there are a lot of people that don't like China, um, including our president. Um, so, um, but I think as a medical community, we have to overlook the political world. We're all working to the same goal to make people better. And I love going to, I love going everywhere. Um, but if you ask, there's a lot to learn in both directions. Yeah. So again, I think that, you know, I have a, I have clocks in my home office and it's, it's Paris, Nashville and Beijing. <laughs> and so, so I know what time it is in every one of the, in the, in those worlds that I live in. So, um, um, I, I, I find that, you know, for me at this point in my career, the teaching, the mentoring, the giving back, um, you know, that's, that's what it's about. And again, doing my meetings is a wonderful opportunity, but don't think I do it all myself. I don't, I have amazing people. I, you know, I have a group here in the United States called Meeting Designs based in Boston. They run everything I do here. It's an amazing team in for Dazzle and for 5CC Lodge event is unbelievable. Um, and that's, you know, again, you have to trust the people you work with to do the job that they're, that they're best at. And again, in the, dig, in the virtual world, none of us knew how to do this. All right. It was, a learning, it was a learning curve that we had to learn as fast as anything we've ever had to learn. Um, but you know what? It's okay. We, we're, 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 we're making do with it. And, and, you know, and, and, and as I said at the beginning, we will be better meeting hosts in the future when we go back live um, because, A, we all want to go back live, but B, we're going to have a virtual component to almost everything we do. So we've come full circle, so I think that's a fantastic place to end. Um, Dr. Gold, thank you very, very much for a fascinating discussion. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? So, um, so if you want to, my website is www.goldskincare.com and um, my email is drgold at goldskincare.com.
Okay, great. We'll put up links to all the conferences and obviously to your website, um, right. show notes as well. So anyone listening to this, um, the links are there. Um, Dr. Gold, thank you very much again. And for everybody else, I'm looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic. Stay safe. Thank you very much.